Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome, and it is my divine pleasure to bring this show to you each and every week. We have been... uh, doing the show on this platform for over three years, and there are over 200 wonderful interviews archived at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Cindy Meyer, and that's spelled C-Y-N-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R. So please tell your friends, your family, your loved ones all about this show because it's just amazing how much knowledge from all of the different people that we interview. We interview authors, we interview musicians, we interview uh, teachers, just any format, uh, spiritual leaders, anyone that is doing the work to enhance the mind, body, and spirit of individuals, and collectively, um, you know, we affect the world. So um, I'm just going to do a few announcements, and then I will bring my guest uh, on. So the announcements are Spirit Seeker will be taking a group from all over the U.S. to Arkansas to do a crystal mining trip the first weekend in September. The information uh, can be found at spiritseeker.com or me an email to info at spiritseeker.com and I will send you information on that crystal mining trip. We will be visiting the hot springs in Eureka, or hot springs rather, the underground baths and that are spring fed and working with crystals will be crystal mining for two days. So it'll be fun. There's lots of things happening with that. The other thing is that Spirit Seeker is sponsoring um, David Pramal and Meaton who are known as the mantra musicians. They use mantras to bring about healing and they will be in the Chicago area, and uh, we are a sponsor of that event. So that's coming up on September 10th. So you can go to the Crystal Mining, come back, and then go to Chicago. Okay, so that's the announcements. Everything else is in Spirit Seeker Magazine, and as the announcement said at the beginning, you can read that at spiritseeker.com. All right, so today I um, have a wonderful guest who is making a change in the world. Uh, Her name is Esther Nicholson. She um, has a very eclectic background. She started off uh, with her fame and recognition being a celebrated vocalist, formerly with Bette Midler and Rod Stewart. She's a gifted speaker, teacher, spiritual therapist, author, and a former addict who has developed a unique and powerful uh, 12-step informed complementary program for healing dependence. And this is, you know, something that is front and center on so many of our minds. So, Esther, please um, welcome to the call. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you for having me here. Oh, my gosh. Uh, You know... I prepare a lot for these shows, you can imagine, and when I was reading just some of the things, you know, about your past and, you know, where you've been, where you are, where you're going, I mean, it's it's an amazing story. Yes. Yeah, it is quite a story, isn't it? <laughs> well, and it is, and it's just heartfelt, and, um, you know, so... So, you know, Esther, we could go in a lot of directions, but I'd just like you to, um, you know, start sharing, and then I'll ask questions. And uh, callers, if you have questions, you just have to press 1 on your phone, and then um, my producer will bring you on a little bit later in the show with your question. Um, but let's just, you know, Esther, what what was you, what were you like as a little girl? Were you singing, dancing? I mean, what was your childhood like? Let's start there and move forward. Well, my there were a lot of dualistic 
um, things happening in, in my childhood. On one hand, I was an adored uh, baby daughter of um, older parents and the baby sister of, of, of uh, seven older uh, siblings. And on the other hand, I was this abused, kind of not wanted child by my mother. And um, so I got a lot of mixed messages. Um, but I think the message that stuck in for me the most, which I believe is is one of the causes of addiction, the symptom of addiction. Um, they are based in the core wounds, uh, the, the illusions, the feelings of unworthiness and not enoughness and not being wanted and not being loved and and, and all of that. And so that first addiction before I knew anything about drugs and alcohol that first addiction was to fear and to to wanting to be approved of and wanting to be wanted and please don't leave me, you know. And 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 that addiction to to those illusions, of course, the cause to that is based in the false belief that you're separate and apart from your your wholeness, which is God. And so it is from that place that that insatiable hunger was created for anything external to myself to give me that, that instant gratification um, of being enough, of being accepted, of being wanted. And so that manifested in being addicted to love in all of the wrong places, men, you know, boys when I, when I was a teenager, and then later on men and, you know, unhealthy relationships. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the substance of, of, um, of cocaine um, abuse. So that that is how my addiction started, and you know, Bill Wilson, founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, he's very clear that addiction is based in a spiritual malady, which is the false belief that you're separate and apart from God, a mental obsession, and a physical allergy. So the addiction starts way before you start injecting stuff into your body. Right. Injecting stuff into your body. Yeah. Yeah, it's in the energy field, and, you know, and it's so interesting. You know, I've worked with some phenomenal healers along the way and teachers, and they always say that, you know, what well, we know, thoughts are things, you know, mm-hmm. and whatever the core thought is, it's in the energy field long before it manifests with the physical. Absolutely. Absolutely, right? Cindy. Yep. Right, and yeah. you you grew up in a um, in a religious family with your father being a Baptist minister, so mm-hmm. you had, mm-hmm. it sounds like you had that, you know, that support, you know, a lot of people don't even have that support, but you had that, but it didn't matter, the core thought. Well, and if you had, you were the, only, the, the youngest of seven daughters, is that what you said? The youngest of seven children. I had five brothers and two okay. other sisters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. and, and we know that religion is, is um, you know, again, there were some mixed messages there as well, because while having my my dad as a minister and, and, and growing up in a church that was filled with cousins and relatives and extended family and all of that, yes, there was a sense of foundation. Absolutely, there was a sense of foundation. And then on the, on, on the other hand, because I was born into an environment of people that, while had faith in something, were still operating from a very dualistic consciousness of God up there somewhere, out there somewhere, versus within their very own beingness. Um, you know, so, so there was a lot of, of dysfunction there as well. Right. You know? 
And um, my path, my journey, was that I took that in, and I took that on as my identity. So while, yes, I had the foundation of something that was very powerful, which really served me when I was out in those streets doing cocaine and and God knows what else, there was something that, that kept me strong. And there was something that, you know, when people saw me, they'd say, you don't belong here, church girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so funny. You know, they just knew. You know, they knew. <laughs> yeah, they, they knew. How funny. So there was something about that, but, you know, and then on the other hand, the the part of it that was based in the dis-ease, you know, that that also informed every aspect of my life as well. Wow. So, you know, um, one of the stories that I read, you know, about you is that you would stand in the background, or the backyard, rather, as a little kid with your microphone. Absolutely. Just yeah. visioning. I mean, I mean, yet, you know, when you were singing, did what did you, I mean? Did you see? I mean, I know you sang in the church and you know your family and everything, but you just had a bigger destiny even when you were a little kid. I can just sense it, like you just knew. You know, uh, when I came into uh, the awareness of New Thought, um, ancient wisdom principles, and, and the law of attraction, and all of that, I was like, wow. I've been doing this since I was five years old. <laughs> I could feel and it. I was like, this girl just knew. <laughs> right. and, I, and I didn't know it, you know. Right. Um, yeah, I was. I I didn't know when I was standing in, you know, in in, in my backyard with the broom or the or or my hairbrush, singing to the trees and doing my little poses and stuff, and, and oh, taking sweet. my bows and, and all of that. I had no idea that I was creating right then. I was I was I was creating my vision. You know? Yeah. Oh, and you know, listeners, this is where this this vision went. I mean, Esther's been on stage at Madison Madison Square Garden in front of screaming fans, singing with Rod Stewart, Bette Midler, Faith Hill, Beyonce, Barbara Streisand, and many, many, many more. She's been on Oprah Winfrey, she's been on uh Ellen De, DeGener I always say DeGeneres, I always say her name wrong, but we know who which <laughs> that is terrible. And you've been you know, you've been on all kinds of shows and everything else. But but you know, let's talk about, you know, when um when how you wound up with Michael Beckwith because you 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 have studied with him he's you know done mm-hmm. part of the forward to your book you know let's let's hear this road how you because you left and went to Los Angeles very young it sounds like yeah i i moved from new york to los angeles when i was 19 years old and that's when my drug addiction just really just took off and um and and then you know i i eventually got sober um, uh, at 26 years old. And um, when I made the decision to get sober, I didn't, I was not, I was very fortunate in that I was not one of those people that just said, I'm going to go to 20 meetings, you know, a week and just hang out in the fellowship and get addicted to meetings. You know, my my journey was once I surrendered to getting sober, I surrendered to having a life, and I wanted to know God beyond the God that I was brought up with. There was something calling me to to go deeper than I ever had before, so I really surrendered to those 12 steps of recovery, and um, I practiced them, and I worked them, and I surrendered to them for the first 10 years of my sobriety. And I had an amazing spiritual experience, and I was in deep change. But at 10 years of sobriety, 
the steps had stopped working because they had done all they were designed to do. They were designed to get me sober, to get me clean, cleaned up, to support me in cleaning up a lot of the wreckage of my past and see and in having a spiritual experience. But even Bill Wilson says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in order to recover, and you can recover from addiction, that you must maintain your spiritual life and you must enlarge your spiritual life. And so those steps stopped working for me. It's like I had hit a wall, which is exactly what I was supposed to do because the divine impulse within me was calling me forth to go deeper. And so one of the young ladies I was sponsoring said, you've got to come to my church, Agape. And I went to the church, and when Reverend Michael started speaking, he was speaking a language that resonated so deeply within my soul because I was already meditating and praying and doing forgiveness work and, and, and all of that stuff. But he was pulling me, he was pulling me deeper to go, to, to go deeper. And, um, and so that's actually how Soul Recovery, my book, um, was created was when I saw, oh, there's there's something that needs to be added here to this teaching of new thought, new thought, ancient wisdom for the people that are in those communities. And there's definitely something that needs to be added to the people in the 12-step program. And so I was the, I was the bridge. And yeah. so I found a way to bridge those two uh, teachings. Well, and you recovery. know, Michael yeah. Beckwith, I mean, what a person to, like, you know, have as a mentor. I mean, okay. I, I met Michael, um, this was like, I don't know, let me think. It was, I think, 1992 or 1993. And at that time, he was not, you know, where he, you know, as well known. I mean, he was still, you know, he was te- he taught at a, re- a reunion. Um, it was the gathering of religious science, divine science, unity, um, all these that we would have a conference in the, the in the Lake of the Ozarks Midwest, and um, I mean we had John Randolph Price as speakers, Michael Beckwith. Wow! And, you know, so, so you get the feel, and um, and you know I just remember hearing Michael Beckwith speak and thinking, oh, this man's going to go somewhere. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, since then I've heard him so many times at different conferences and been inspired by his music, his devotion. You know, Ricky, you know, by respect with his wife. I mean, so here you are, you know, and and you worked with him for. Quite quite some time became, you know, certified as one of the spiritual um, counselors. I mean, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, so so this so this work is what you gleaned all this with all the knowledge you'd already learned, and this is how you came to this book. Absolutely. Absolutely, because I had to practice the, all of the principles in the book, all the teachings in the book, I had to practice myself. And and I saw that with the 12 steps, something, you know, at, at a certain point, I needed to go deeper. And then I saw with metaphysics, well, I needed to go deeper there, too. So in, 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 in working those two healing modalities, it was like, oh, wow, this, this, this creates for me a complete practice. And, and so it's like people need to know about this. So... Yeah, so not only did I start speaking about it and doing workshops on it, incorporating all of the principles from the 12 steps and metaphysics and singing about it and writing about it and all of that, like we need to get a book out there so that it can touch so many more lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, 
um, this is a this is you know an, another part of the addiction. Even when, um, not even when, but as as you climbed out of the depths of this, and you know this one excerpt, um, I thought you know people who have had anyone in their life with addiction, a lot of times you don't know the stories. You know that it's bad, but you don't really know how bad mm-hmm. it gets mm-hmm. before a person hits rock bottom. But this one part was just so touching. It said, "I've done it again." When all the drugs were gone, the realization of having spent my very last dime dawned on me. My frightened little daughter and I left the drug dealer's house walking down the street at 4 a.m. The shame came pouring out of me, and I cried hysterically. Mommy will never do it again, baby. I'm so sorry. She looked at me with hope and disbelief all at once, even at her young age. She'd heard this promise before. She already knew we'd come this way again, and we did. Yep. And... You know, addiction overrides everything. And, you know, when you when you wrote this, it's like you could feel, I mean, and, that, and that's, I think, one of the, the parts that the average person doesn't always understand. There is a feeling of shame and remorse. It's just there's no way to get out. That's right. That's right. I mean, that, I, I remember that, that when that actually happened. And it was, I was just devastated that something had come over me that had just totally taken over my mind. And and it's almost like you go into this hypnotic state. That's what obsession is. That's what addiction does. You go into this hypnotic state, and it feels like what the illusion is telling you is so real and so true. And then you act on it, and then all of a sudden something snaps its fingers, like all of your money being gone. And, you know, you, you like, wake up, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I, I just did that again. But what I want to say, Cindy, is that people, you know, when when – when you think about the word addiction, the first thing that comes to mind is is substance abuse, drugs, and alcohol. But is it not true that people experience that even when it doesn't come to drugs and alcohol? You know, oh, yeah. what about what about those food addictions? You know, what about those sex addictions? What about when you know you, those cigarette and nicotine addictions? You know, it's the same addiction. It's just a different, it's just a different uh, symptom, you know, and the cause is absolutely the same. What about the addiction to procrastination, you know, um, or the addiction to self-sabotaging behaviors? How many times have people made the same New Year's resolution over and over and over again just to find themselves the very next year still in the same spot they were the year before? That's an addiction. Right. You know? It's the sabotage of the highest order and, you know, and and whenever we, you know, set intentions and we ask spirit to help us and then we go right back into the same patterns that keep us from, you know, Mm -hmm. it it is. It's all, and it's all um, from the psyche. Most of it is, you know, it's just, well, I mean, we know there's physical addictions, but there's also, you know, just the the addiction to suffering and pain because that's. Right. Right. That there's behavioral addictions and dependencies. And there's substance addiction. And substance addiction is based on a spiritual malady, a mental obsession, and a physical allergy. Behavioral addiction is based on a spiritual malady and a mental obsession. And it's just as devastating. It's just as demoralizing. You know, it may not be as obvious as smoking crack. It may not be as obvious as going into a blackout, you know, from alcohol. But it is just as devastating. And, you know, at 26 years of sobriety, I've had to look at my 
you know, the many other addictions in my life once the drugs and alcohol was removed. And right. so that's why Soul Recovery says 12 steps for the rest of us, because it's not just for people that are suffering from drug addiction or alcoholism. It's like, look, the definition of addiction is when you have lost the ability to choose. Right. When you have uh, lost the power to choose. Right. Where you just, it's its no longer, you're a choice, you're at, at effect. Yep, and, absolutely, yeah. Right. And so, you know, I, I really like what Colin, uh, Colin Tipping, uh, who's the author of Radical Forgiveness, says. He says, in this book, Esther Nicholson captures the power and promise of forgiveness for a community that, community that desperately needs it. Mm-hmm. She shows how to expand the 12-step process into a comprehensive spiritual teaching. I strongly recommend this book for anyone seeking their own soul recovery. So, Esther, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the soul and how it becomes fragmented and how how we can put the pieces back together, you know, which is what your book is addressing. And mm-hmm. and that, that big part of forgiveness, because there's yeah. so much shame that goes with addiction. Right, right. Well, first of all, Cindy, the soul is never fragmented. The soul remains whole and complete because the soul is God. The soul is is immutable. It is it is it never changes. It is your wholeness. It is order. It is peace. It is infinite love. It is it is what it is. What becomes what what and we become disconnected from that. And so the disconnection from that in consciousness is what causes the addictions and you know the behavioral patterns and 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 all of that. So in order to become, so when we say uh, the name of the book is Soul Recovery, so it's not that the soul needs to be fixed or anything like that. It's recovering it in our consciousness, you know. So it's not recovering from addiction or other behaviors or whatever. It is the recovering of the truth of who we are. It is recovering the true nature of who we are and becoming reconnected in consciousness to that. And when we are reconnected to that, our lives are restored to divine and perfect order and freedom and peace. And so in Soul Recovery, we take you through week by week, key by key, to support the reader or the participant in the class, the workshop, in in dissolving the illusions that have you in this hypnotic state of being disconnected from your soul so that you can become realigned with the truth of who you are. That makes perfect sense. It's like the the soul remembering. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember I was on um, the, 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 the treadmill or the bike at the gym one day and just last year, actually, <laughs> and I was in the deepest pain I'd i been in ever, Cindy. Okay. Emotional pain, I and I was like, I was, I, was, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to heal this. And there was a sign right in front of me. I look up, and there's a sign right in front of me, and it said, "The soul knows exactly what to do to heal." <laughs> and <laughs> thank you, so. angels, guides, and masters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There it was. Like, yeah. there's your rope there, sign there right there. It was, like, it was like, let go. The soul knows what to do. You just do your part in the surrendering, the deep forgiveness work, the making amends, the cleaning up your mistakes, getting back into alignment with the truth of who you are, and it will be revealed to you. You will be guided to compelling divine right action 
the soul knows what to do. Well, and you know, this this month, readers or listeners rather, um, in Spirit Seeker magazine, there's an article by Esther: Seven Keys to Healing the Broken Heart of an Addict. No matter what your addiction, it's the same process. No matter what the addiction is, how do we heal the heart? And um, I, your seven steps um, that you practice on a daily basis. Uh, yes. You you say especially when you're walking through the fire of divine refinement. I love the way you put that in your own life. Yes. So yes. let let's just talk just a little bit about this because it's it's very beautiful. This is like only a snippet of what wisdom you're going to get from this book. It's like, but here are these basic seven steps. So um, the first one is feel the pain. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, I live out loud, Cindy, as you know. And yes. So last year, I went through the deepest heartbreak that I'd ever experienced, and it was with someone that I thought I was going to marry, and with my beloved and my soulmate, and all of a sudden, he changed his mind. All of a sudden, he, you know, he went through a traumatic, um, emotional experience, and he just became a different person, and he just forgot that he loved me, you know? And I was on the floor. I was absolutely on the floor. With all of my spiritual awareness and knowledge, you know, it was another dark night of the soul, which is very necessary. It was very necessary for me to go to another level, another layer of really healing some abandonment and betrayal and rejection issues that I didn't know would still operating in my consciousness. Right. That so core thought. Big, I'm that 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 deep, deep core thought. I wasn't planned, I wasn't wanted, I'm 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 not the one they want. I'm on you know, that whole deal came back, which happens when we're yes. ready to go to another level. We know this. That's but right. it's like That's but right. it's the dark night of the soul that that we have to go through to get to the other side. That's right. And today I'm grateful for that. But when that was happening <sighs> You know, uh, so so it's through that experience and everything, every healing tool that I use to get to where I am today, it's like I need to share this. And one of the things that I share is feel the pain. It's like I did not do a spiritual bypass. When I wanted to be on the floor in the fetal position and hold my tummy where my little girl is and cry my eyes out and have people in my life work to just lay in their arms and just cry, you know, I had a spiritual advisor where she would just say, I would say, I'm so sorry to bother you with this again. She's like, baby, you're not bothering me. Just talk it out. And, you know, we would talk it out. I would curse him out in my mind and, you know, all of that. And then I'd forgive him again. And all. I, I just allowed myself everything with no judgment on myself. Right. And, you know, I just allowed it. And then now I'm ready for the next step. Right. But, oh, but I have to say this. But while I was in the midst of having my tantrum and, you know, my little girl just feeling so forgotten and so left and, you know, all of that, I knew that I knew that I knew, Cindy. I knew that God was right where I was. I knew that I was going to come out on the other side. I didn't know how, but I knew that I would. And so Um, in in between those times, I was praying and meditating and forgiving. I think that's the that's the the key, one of the the keys that you address. Like, and I love how you said, "I didn't know how, but I knew, but I knew somehow." You know, the the yeah, ego yeah. always wants to know, well, how what's that going to look like? How can you trust that? The ego, you know, I I like to think of as edging God out and mm-hmm. keeping us small. And so, 
the the knowing the how is not important. It's just the willingness, knowing, okay, I, I know God's there. I know I I know God's in me. And, like, just knowing that there is a divine, what, what is it Wayne Dyer said, there's a spiritual solution for every problem. You know, just get out of the way and let the spirit guide you. Just like that sign in front of the treadmill. You know, there it is. That's right. And just looking at everything I had already come through in my life. Oh. It's yes. like knowing that this presence and power within me had never failed me. Right. But I always not only ended up landing on my feet, but better and stronger than ever before. So I knew that that this that that, that to the degree that this was painful, that that was the degree of the spiritual blessing that was on its way. Yeah. You know. Then I love your step two, and I'm just going to read this because it's, you know, you you kind of shared a little bit already with when you called your spiritual friend and you said, I'm sorry, you'll be talking about this again. And she's like, no, no. Number two, tell your story to people on a spiritual path who can be compassionate with your pain but have the ability to take you past the story to your healing. And I love this. No more Starbucks dates with your best friend to talk about what others did you over and over and over again. That's just not an option. No, no. No. <laughs> I just like thought, oh, my God, this girl's got it. She understands. We need to be around the spiritual folks with the light that get us to the other side of this. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And the reason I could talk about the Starbucks thing, Cindy, is because I've done it. You know, <laughs> and it's like I'm not saying something that I don't know about. I know how attractive that is. I know oh. how, you know, you just want to hook up with your girls and, like, talk about it one more time and get them to agree yeah. with you, like, how horrible that person is oh, and all of that. You know, comfort and, 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 and I, I think way. once or twice that might be necessary. Right. But after that, once or twice, you you want to be able to be with someone who, yes, you can say, you can tell your story again, and they'll be like, yes, sweetheart, I understand, and I know how much this hurts. Now, are you ready to hear the truth? Right, right, and get past it. And so step three it, yeah. is is one word: forgive, forgive, and forgive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is going to take you home. That is going to take you home. And forgiveness is such a, you know, it's such a deeper process than a lot of people think. Um, Based on traditional forgiveness, we look at a person or we look at a situation and we say, I feel abandoned, I feel rejected, I feel whatever, and it's because of you that I feel this way. But based on traditional forgiveness, I'm going to forgive you. And what happens is you really mean it from the bottom of your heart, but two minutes later or an hour later or a week later, you're on the floor with the same resentment. And resentment is the remembering, the retelling, and the reliving of a painful event, even if that event is in the past. So the reason that traditional forgiveness doesn't work is because it doesn't heal the core wounds that created the situation in the first place, and it doesn't transform the story. You're trying to forgive based on your belief that this person did this horrible thing to you. And it's kind of impossible from that place. So based on using the radical forgiveness principles and the fourth through the ninth step of the recovery process, we get to look at, in the forgiveness process, we get to look at our belief system, the distorted, wounded belief system that's keeping you in the pain. It's not the person that's keeping you in the pain. It's your belief system that's keeping you in the pain. You know, you get to look at your core wounds with deep compassion, but come to a a place of understanding that they are illusions and that they are not real. You get to look at the part that you played, and you get to clean up your part, your side of the street, 
And this is what creates the room for real forgiveness. You know, um, there's this book, Love is Letting Go of Fear, uh, by Gerald Jampolsky. And, you know, I just remember this one section that he says, you know, there's never been a movie made where it was perfect the first time through. Like a scene would happen, and, oh, let's reshoot this scene, and then right, right. reshoot the scene and splice it in. And he says, your life is just the same way. It's like there are these things, these parts that, you know, you don't exactly like, but they're there, right. and they're part of the story, so how can you reframe it, which I think is forgiveness. It's not mm-hmm. saying what happened is okay on any level. It's saying, you know mm-hmm. what, I'm letting this go so that you're not, you know, this situation's not living in my mind rent-free. I'm, I'm coming to peace with it, knowing that, there, you know, you don't have to be the, the judge and jury. And It's like it's not our job to, like, our job is strictly to go to forgiveness and, and work with that, which is exactly, you, you explained it really well in these 12 steps. It's like you heal the core wounds, you allow yourself to release others from blame, and you transform your story from victim to victory. Absolutely. And it is a process, and it's a very compassionate, deep process. That forgiveness is not easy, and it's definitely not easy if you're not going to go through the steps of forgiveness. You know, you, you, you've really got to in my opinion, in my humble opinion, you know, that's why a lot of people haven't forgiven is because they think that just because they say the words, I forgive, that that's it. But you will always know whether or not you've forgiven someone because you will have an involuntary reaction in your body and in your mind when you think of that person. Right. And when you're at peace and you know it's like, you know, just like, oh, then you know you've done your work. So, listeners, I want want to... um, give you the website because before we go to the next step I, I want to share about Esther's Facebook page too. So you can go to her main website which is soulrecovery.org and Esther Nicholson is spelled E-S-T-E-R uh, Nicholson is N-I-C-H-O-L-S-O-N and Esther um, puts different things on her Facebook page. Uh, this is what she said last night. So in my meditation tonight, here's what I did. I released the resistance to letting go absolutely. I released wanting to feel safe. I released resistance to not letting go absolutely and all judgment about whether or not I could in that moment. I released resistance to being still. I released wanting control over how deep I went went in my meditation. I released wanting anything but to know spirit as my life. Then, ah, spirit washed over me because there were no thoughts or wants blocking me from communing with the truth of my being. So good. Mm. This was, you know, you wrote this like eight hours ago or something. And then, you know, and then, you know, so preparing for the interview, I was like looking over. I'm like, oh, she's in the groove. She's totally ready. I'm ready to play too. (laughs) But this meditation, you know, you you have a lot with meditation, um, which, you know, sitting in the silence, not to get your problems solved. It's like meditation, sit in the silence, but you're not doing it to solve the problems. You're doing it, you know, to commune with God and come to realizations. Is that a good way? Mm -hmm. Did I? Okay, so let's. And then you you challenged people. I love this other thing. Three hours ago, yes, it was in response to someone, you know, asking her a question. Esther says, yes, I too get caught up and find myself skipping a meditation or two, but I've decided to recommit on a deeper level. In experiencing the pure bliss of spirit, I am feeling the divine impulse to expand. That cannot be done by efforting and struggle. It can only be done by spiritual discernment and realization. 
I'm committing to meditation three times a day no matter what. I'm scheduling it on my phone calendar to ring at the scheduled time. Seven days of this kind of commitment takes you to an entirely different level. It is after meditation that visualization is easy because you're truly seeing your life the way God sees your life. Anyone else up to the seven-day challenge three times a day? (laughs) Absolutely. That's how I teach. It's like... Uh, Let's do this thing. It's fabulous. You're inspiring us all, and inspire is inspiring from the Greek word breathe. <laughs> you know, let's breathe and commune and get going. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that things that you're going to find, you know, through Esther's spiritual teachings. And then uh, I do want to talk about this. This was the last post that I read on her page today. It says, hey, Facebook family, I just wrapped up my 10-week soul recovery course on 12 keys to healing addiction and 12 steps for the rest of us. Um, the rest of us. All of my students have had deep transformations and shifts from this program. Therapists, ministers, and practitioners now have new powerful tools to add to their own work with clients in their communities. Um, and we are starting our new class. Uh, it's actually coming up on uh, Tuesday, August 13th. And all of the information on all of this is at soulrecovery.org. But Esther, tell us about this because this is a, a course that they can do on their own. Or how does this work? No, what happens is it's a, te- it's a teleconference um, uh, e-course where they call in and we're all on the phone and I'm teaching okay. the, 12, the 12 keys. And and so each week I'm I'm teaching a key, and then I give homework, where the students do the homework and they email it to me. I respond on it. I you know tweak it or give them suggestions or whatever. And then they come in the next week and I teach the next class. And then we have Q and A, and all of that. So it's like you're attending a class except it's a teleconference. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. You know, so you get to ha- you get to have this you know one on one time with me. Which you know isn't the the, the beauty today like Facebook all oh, the different God. social media. I know you know and you know and I'm I'm close to sixty. So some people are like you're on. I mean and I remember when I first came on Facebook, my kids were like you're on Facebook. I'm like absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And you know we had a little bit of a a challenge. I'm not going to go into all of it, but some paperwork for my daughter that needed to get to the State Department in Washington D.C. was delivered to a residence. There's no one at the residence. You know it was a it was just a, a mistake. UPS entered the wrong address, and there it went. Well, her FBI background check that took six weeks to do is in there, and she's you know she's teaching in Spain. And if that doesn't happen, if we can't get that packet, which you know we've sent couriers by UPS, etc., we call. We've done so much, but let me tell you where it all came from. I put it on Facebook. And this, you know, Cindy Meyer Spirit Seeker realm of Facebook, so many people started praying. They started giving, you know, now we have a councilman working with us. We have the, I mean, it's just, it's amazing what can happen with group mind, power of prayer, and coming together. That's right. So so this telegram. Well, one or more are gathered. Here I am in the midst. (laughs) That's right. So this telecourse is is just wonderful that you're offering this. I mean, because I know you're busy. You were like speaking and you're at conferences. (laughs) I mean, tell us, I mean, just, you know, many blessings. So share with us whatever else you would like to share with us because, you know, we, there's so many directions we could go with this. And I know we haven't finished all the steps. I guess we should talk about meditation just a little bit and then move into affirmative prayer and then we'll come back. Right. Well, meditation is the most important part of my life, Cindy. And, you know, again, there are times when I've struggled with the discipline 
of it and you'd get really busy and you're just like, oh, you know, I can't meditate right now. And I just find that when I schedule my very busy life around my meditation versus my meditations around my very busy life, then my very busy life finds a rhythm and an order and a flow, you know, that it doesn't find when I'm trying to effort it from out there. And um, and that every answer, everything that I need is within, is, is God. You know, there there is this, uh, Joel Goldsmith says, um, this quote from Joel Goldsmith, he says, if I had God in all the world, I would have nothing more than if I had God alone. And so when I get caught up in all the, oh, my God, I need this, and oh, my God, I need to do that, and oh, my God, I want to do that, I have to remember, wait a minute. If I just sit down and meditate and connect to the divine within me, all of that is with it is there. Right. You know, everything that I need is there, and it has proven itself. You know that it's just coming out of meditation, everything just starts to flow with, because there's no urgency in God. Mm-hmm. There's efficiency in God, but there's no urgency there. And so it is the most important part of my life. It is, you know, it is. What I always guide my students to, you know, it's like the forgiveness work, the the prayer work, you know, the meditation. It's like, you know, it's from that place your life is going to change because the the old paradigm must shift in in, in light of that, you know. So meditation takes you out of your reasoning mind into the mind of realization. Yeah, it's divine, divine timing, divine mind. It's all divine. I mean, I, I it's, and there's no way to explain that in the rational mind. Um, no, you know, and, and no, so many not. people think meditation is hard. You know, they oh, they can't stop the quiet, the noisy thoughts. Well, you know what? The noisy thoughts are part of the meditation. Absolutely, and I would just like to speak to that for one moment. That is why I created a section in my book called Spiritual Foreplay. Can you tell I'm a lover? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because the reason people think that meditation is hard is because they try to sit down and meditate from from such a frantic um, vibration. And the vibration of the infinite is unlimited. And so to sit down and to try to jump from being frantic and worried and fearful to the silence and peace and love, it's impossible. So, you know, so of course it's it's difficult and discouraging to meditate. But if you use the spiritual foreplay where you are courting your ego, courting it into the silence, nurturing it, loving it into the silence, bringing it back to center, you know, setting your intention, you know, that, I want to know God in this meditation more than I want to know anything else. I set my intention to release every fear, every doubt, every uncertainty. I set my intention to put aside what I think I know and what I think I need for an open mind and a true experience. And then read something inspirational. And then do a prayer. And then now now your consciousness is ready for the silence. So it is foreplay, right? You know, 
And, you know, I, I can remember, you know, many years ago, my my children were very small, and I had them learn the classic transcendental meditation. And, mm-hmm. you know, they give them a walking mantra. They get the mantra, mm-hmm. but they walk with it because they know children are very kinesthetic. And, mm-hmm. you know, so the whole thing with meditation, I, I mean, I love what you just explained. I mean, it, you don't have to sit and go home for 20 minutes. It does mm-hmm. That's, you know, there, in time you'll get to where you can sit. I mean, and I can meditate anywhere. You know, I don't uh-huh. care if it's a noisy airport in the middle of a shopping center. It just doesn't matter. I can sit down, close my eyes, and I'm, I'm in connect to that space that we're talking about here. And, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and that quiet space is where, you know, I, I mean, it, the first time I heard Deepak Chopra t- talk about meditation, he never once called it meditation. He called it lengthening the quiet pauses between the thoughts. Uh-huh. No, I mean, that was Love before that. he was really out of the closet, so to speak. <laughs> you know, he was still a Kaiser Permanente doctor, you know, uh, et cetera. But, you know, but here he was just saying it's just lengthening those quiet pauses between the thoughts and the, the Herbert that. Benson, you know, Herbert Benson relaxation response, you know, that that thing that was done at Harvard. And, you know, and then they've had, there's been studies, you know, the transcendental meditators went on the White House lawn in the 1980s and they all focused on peace. And they measured crime 200 miles out, crime rates dropped significantly and it was because they were focusing on peace and beaming it out so you know this this inner peace and inner calmness it just affects everyone around us and it's a gift that we give to everyone when we can reach that quiet place that we're talking you know that you're talking about that's right and it allows you to think one thought at a time you know when i come out of meditation it's so much easier to focus on what it and being fully present in the moment you know, because the static is off the line. And I'm not trying to think through a million other thoughts while I'm having a conversation with you. You know, meditation allows me to have the conversation with you and be fully present in it. Yeah. So one of the things that you write is meditation isn't about making anything happen. It's about coming into alignment with the good that is already happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not about making something happen. It's about making it welcome. Because every answer, every solution, everything is already there. But it doesn't feel like it's there when you're not lined up with it. But when you're lined up with it, now you are the open vehicle to allow the inner splendor to to be released through you. Right. So let's talk about affirmative prayer. I mean... Uh You know, and and a lot of times people, you know, my experience, and you know, please share. A lot of times people are like meditation. That's you know that that's something those weirdos do or whatever. It's like they're still, they're, you know what? I know you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people are like, well, because you know, like I remember my bridge teacher. She's in her 80s, and I don't know. She was hurting one day, and I said, how about if I just give you some some you know a little spiritual, you know, a little tune up here with some energy? She goes, what is that? And I said, well, sometimes it's known as Reiki, but I do all kinds of stuff. And so she she didn't know what it was, but she came back the next week and she said, you know, I, I hosted a prayer group in my home for 10 years. I have this feeling that Reiki is like prayer. I said, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. because a lot of people, you know, still aren't familiar. So affirmative prayer is is something that almost anyone can relate to. So let, what is affirmative prayer, Esther? Let's, let's. Well, well, let's, before we talk about affirmative prayer, let's look at the, at, at how people usually pray. Okay. Um, who don't know about affirmative prayer. Um, and, and the normal way that, that people usually pray is from a place of fear, from, you know, to a God outside of themselves, from a place of unworthiness and 
and withholding and, you know, maybe I'll get my good, maybe I won't. So they pray to this God of, oh, God, please, 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 you know, do this for me or do that for me. And so even the consciousness from which you're putting that prayer out there, that's why the prayer will never be answered. And if it is answered, it is answered from such a limited place. But affirmative prayer is based on your conscious union with spirit. And so it is not asking for something. It is it is declaring and affirming that that which you are that that which you are seeking is already done. And so you are affirming it. You are declaring it. And so the steps to affirmative prayer. The first step is recognition, recognizing the nature of God, spirit, life, whatever you call it, recognizing that it is good. It is love, it is harmony, it is order, it is peace, it is all good. And then the second step is unification, realizing that you are one with it, that it's not out there up in the sky somewhere. It is nearer than your hands and feet, closer than your breathing. It is who you are. It is where you are. So if God is all good and it is right where you are and it is who you are and what you are, then the third step, which is realization, says, I don't have to ask for anything. It is from this place that I declare that I am whole, perfect, and complete. I declare and I know and I affirm that I am in divine, perfect employment and my career my career is unfolding and, 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 and flourishing and thriving. It is from this place that you get to claim and affirm what it is that you want and then the, the fourth step, which is thanksgiving, you give thanks. You don't thank God out there somewhere. I thank you, God. It's I give thanks for this realization. I give thanks for this acceptance. I give thanks that even now it is manifesting in tangible form and experience as my life. So you give thanks even before the physical manifestation has shown up. And then the fifth step is I release this word into law knowing it is so, and so it is. And Ernest Holmes says, now you release in quiet confidence and faith that it is done. And then you can just sit back and you know that it's done. Right. You know, Ernest Holmes, for those of you who are like, who's Ernest Holmes? He is the founder of um, Science of Mind, the re- religious science, um, and his his work is just phenomenal. And oh, yeah. So, so you were you basically, you know, not basically, very similar spiritual treatment. What you just, what you did. It's like you're mm-hmm. doing the spiritual treatment. You're you're knowing that it is so right here, right now. You're claiming it. You're willing to receive it. And you know the 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 thing that is so important, and many people do not get it. They they will pray for what they don't want. They'll say, Ah, please God, do not bring me any more. Blah blah blah. And, and you know, I have they, a story. I have okay, a story about that. Okay. Several several years ago, when I was. Um, before I was in a relationship, I put on my vision board, I'm calling forth a man in my life who absolutely does not have underage children, right? Of course you Right, right. Oh, my God, it's age. I get this guy with not only underage children, but they're totally crazy. You know, it's like it was just horrible. And But, you know, I, I got exactly what it is that, I didn't want because my focus was what was on what I didn't want. And then later on, I started affirming, you know, I call forth my beloved. And if he has children, they're adults, 
they're independent, they're sane, <laughs> and, they're, and, they're, and they're out of the house. And we love to see them come visit, and we appreciate it when they go home, you know. Right. So it was just my focus was just different. So absolutely, right. people pray for what they don't want. Right. And so here's the deal. You know, when you say, I don't want something, all the universe hears is I want, because the don't is negated, because the attention is on, once again, what you don't want. So, you know, this whole thing is where the attention goes, the energy flows. So if you want a peaceful, harmonious man who has peaceful, harmonious children who are highly intelligent and capable, (laughs) then that's what you focus on. And, you know, I I have a really good friend who had all these things for her partner, loyal, faithful, all the stuff. She got a black Labrador retriever. I am not exaggerating. And so oh, then she's like, oh, stop it. And she that said, is hilarious. I, I know. She oh. was like, I guess it wasn't clear. I want a loyal, faithful man. <laughs> yeah, she maybe had, she should put man in there. Oh, I know. That and she had hilarious. 78 things on her list, and everybody laughed at her. They were like, you're never going to get it. You know, I didn't. I didn't laugh. But a lot of the people in the in the spiritual community that we were all in with breathwork, you know, they're like, you're, you know, you're crazy. That's too much. When she met her divine beloved, he had 78 of those 80. And, you know, I mean, she was just clear. She was so clear. So, yeah. you know, this is the whole thing, the, the clarity with affirmative prayer and all the steps Esther take us, took us through. And, you know, and by the way, we're going to go through the seven steps, but this is what Esther does every single day. She says, here are the seven steps that I practice on a daily basis, but especially when I'm walking through the fire of defi- divine refinement in my own life. I love that. I just love mm-hmm. it. The fire of divine refinement. It's like yes. I'm refining it, going to a new level and playing. That's Absolutely. Right. That's right. That's right. Oh, beautiful. So so step seven is similar to the one about the um you know, the Starbucks and the and the lamenting, but it's a little different too. So step seven is surround yourself with love and support from family and friends. Exercise, eat healthy. And a little note, Krispy Kremes might not be the best thing for you right now, so treat yourself in a healthy way. <laughs> I know, I love that. And have as much fun as possible, which is enlightenment. You know, people think enlightenment is hard work. All the, yes, there's some work to it, but it's lightening up, you know. So so let's talk about this this part of hanging out with people who are of the same vibration or higher. Absolutely. You know, it, it, it is so important to have balance in your life and to have fun. And, yes, spiritual work, it, the reason that it's called work is because it is working in the opposite direction of, of of how you've been conditioned to be with yourself. So it does take a certain amount of energy to do meditation and do forgiveness work and all of that because it is stretching your consciousness beyond where it is accustomed to going. Um, and so in that, it's, it's so important to, like, say, you know what, I'm just I'm going to go to a movie with a girlfriend and I'm going to laugh my butt off. You know, I'm going to I'm I'm going to I'm going to hang out with some friends and we're going to dance and we're going to party and we're just, you know, we're not even going to talk about any spiritual matters or, you know, whatever. We're just going to talk stuff, you know, and we're going to have fun and we're going to tell jokes and it, it it's it's another aspect of God. God is joy. Right. God is joy. So, so yeah. Yeah. So, listeners, this, you know, I just have to have to say thank you so much, Esther, for writing this book, for doing the work 
the work, the play, whatever we call it. But um, the title of this book, Soul Recovery, 12 Keys to Healing Addiction and 12 Steps for the Rest of Us, A Path to Wholeness, Serenity, and Success. And all of this can be found on Esther's website, soulrecovery.org. And I just want to mention with with this show, um, there's several ways you can support the show. Number one, if you go to Blog Talk Radio and uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Cindy Meyer, spelled C-Y-N-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R, you'll be on on my page with Blog Talk. And we are a featured show now because so many of you have liked the show, and I just want to thank you for sharing the show with so many friends and family. But have your friends and family send us an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com. You will then get an email uh, letting you know about all of these different shows and, you know, about the archives, and you can forward it, and we let you know of other wonderful Mind, Body, Spirit events happening primarily in the Midwest, but we're also covering, um, you know, national events now because we have national listeners. And um, and the other thing that we are starting new to encourage you to actually send that email to info at spiritseeker.com is that um, one person each month will receive a complimentary uh, life coaching session from Cindy Meyer. And so uh, we will be collecting all those names and doing a drawing once a month. And so you get, you know, a, a reading, intuitive, spiritual uh, tune-up from Cindy Meyer here. And so um, we just we, we just really know that this is the way. It's grassroots, but it's just helped so much. And um, we just thank you so much. And Esther, I thank you for the work you're doing. Oh, Truly, thank, thank you, you. Thank you from my heart to yours. And um, okay, so listeners, so there it is. Esther Nicholson, uh, soulrecovery.org. Thank you so much. Thank you. 